The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to John. Glory to you. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light, the true light which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world. The world came into being through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to what was his own, and his own people did not accept him. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God, who were born not of blood, or of the will of the flesh, or of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and lived among us. We have seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. John testified to him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks ahead of me because he was before me. From his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. The law indeed was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. Is God the only Son who is close to the Father's heart, who has made him? No. The Gospel of the Lord. I like to think that the first Sunday after Christmas is right up there with the Easter Vigil. It's one of the best kept secrets of the church. Because for me, it is one of the most beautiful Sundays of the church year. Because we have one of the most beautiful readings in all of Scripture. My personal favorite. I'm not alone in that. But as my grandmother used to say, there's no accounting for taste, right? The interesting thing about the prologue to John's Gospel and John's Gospel as a whole is that while we render it into our English in poetic language, it's actually a very rough form of Greek. What you are invited to imagine are two Jews meeting in Galilee uh, sometime towards the end of the first century. And one is a Jewish Christian, and the other one is a curious Jew about this new tradition that's developing in their midst. 
and he asks his friend, so tell me about this Jesus. And his friend responds by saying, in the beginning. And his friend knows immediately what's happening. He is rewriting the creation story. Because his friend knows the Torah and he knows how Genesis begins. It is a radical message for a radical time and a radical community living on the margins, the very fringe and edge of their society and probably the synagogue community in the northern part of Israel towards the end of the first century. But for us, we have received this as another Christmas story, right? And it is a Christmas story that is very unlike the one that we celebrate on Christmas Eve when all the children dress up, some of the adults too, and we have a pageant, or when we gather at that late service, as we love to do, and sing carols, and we hear the story of a man and a woman traveling from Nazareth to Bethlehem where a little baby is born in a manger. John does not tell that story at all. Rather, he tells a cosmic story, a story about Jesus the Christ, who was not just before all things, but through whom all things came into being, as we say in the Creed. For us, where we stand at this point in the 21st century, that is a radically different understanding of the Christmas story. You see evidence, John might say, of Christ when you look at the night sky. When you look at those beautiful pictures that came down to us over the past few decades from the Hubble Space Telescope. Even when you look at the world of the very small, you see what is birthed through Christ. It's a radical message, and it is a radical paradox. Because we have these two Christmas stories that don't seem quite compatible with each other this time of year. We have the story of an Israelite child being born sometime just before the turn of the millennium just before the first century begins. And we have the story of Christ, the timeless one, through whom all things were born. The great historian Dermot McCulloch writes in Christianity the first 3,000 years that we are inheritors of an ancient paradox that can be traced back, at least in rough terms, to an old debate between Plato on the one hand and Aristotle on the other. Now, I paint roughly just to get your thoughts going. I'm sure there are Greek specialists in the room who can correct me where I am mistaken or painting with too broad a brush, but if you think about Aristotelian thought for a minute as building reality up from the very small and the particular, And then you think of Plato imagining reality as coming from an ideal on high into being. 
you start to get the picture of the debate. What is reality like after all? This debate comes to us because our spiritual ancestors who were Jewish and then their later Christian descendants were wrestling with Greek philosophy and thought at the same time that our traditions were being founded. And by traditions, I mean both contemporary Judaism and contemporary Christianity were rooted in this sort of Greek or what was known in late antiquity as Hellenistic thought. And there was this odd love affair between this small tribe on the eastern side of the Mediterranean and these Greek philosophies. And by love affair, I mean love affair with all of the drama and all of the love turned to hate and back again that goes on in love affairs because the ancient Israelites remembered what had happened when they were overtaken by the Alexandrian Empire and the later Assyrians and the Seleucids and all of that and their descendants. And they remembered being liberated by the Maccabees about two centuries before Jesus was born. And yet they were enamored of Hellenistic philosophy and what it said about God. And by the same token, a number of the Greek philosophers later became enamored by these odd stories that came from this little community in this dusty country calling itself Israel. The paradox is not just with us in Christianity. There are parallels running throughout most of the disciplines today. Here are a few. For example, anyone who's looked at medical science, even for a moment, realizes that one of the great challenges that the medical field has is that what goes on in the laboratory does not easily translate into what happens in the human body. Put another way, the study of the very small in the test tube and the microscopic, where perhaps a new medicine might work, does not always mean it will work in the macroscopic, in the big, in the large, in the body. It's a paradox for the medical field, in a way. A little bit closer to home for us as a people of faith, is what neuroscientists are wrestling with right now. And that is, if they go into the brain and start looking for where the human soul resides, they can't find it. And in fact, it gets worse when they go into the brain and say, we're going to look for where self-consciousness resides, where sentience exists. They can't find that either. And they scratch their heads over it. So they ask the old Aristotelian question. Is the soul, is the self, whatever we regard as essentially human, does that emerge from all of this chatter amongst neurons in the brain, which they understand much better? Or is it something that gives rise to the neurological activity, the platonic idea? And for some of the smartest neuroscientists in the world, the jury is still out. They have to live in that paradox. Or perhaps the biggest paradox of all in physics, which haunts some of the greatest minds in the world today. 
and that is the theory of the very small, known as quantum mechanics, is not completely compatible with the theory of the very large, what Einstein delivered to us as general relativity. The problem is both theories work. And if you don't believe me, you have evidence probably in your pocket right now. Whenever you turn on your GPS, the reason that it doesn't show you standing in the middle of the bay is because general relativity works as a theory. The reason that it shows you anything at all is because quantum mechanics works in the device. Without one theory or the other, you wouldn't have GPS, although you might still be able to find yourself here at Church of Our Savior on the first Sunday after Christmas. Einstein, by the way, deplored quantum mechanics. His famous line was, God does not play dice, because quantum mechanics is all about probability rather than the elegant certainty that comes out of Einstein's equations. One of his contemporaries, I believe it was Niels Bohr, shot back, well, apparently God does play dice because the theory works. And that's been proven over and over again. The parallel with us as a spiritual people, a people who have inherited a tradition of theology, is that we have inherited a paradox as well, and that is we have this notion of the God of the very small, the God who gives rise to a little child born in a dusty town in Palestine, somewhere close to the turn of the millennium in late antiquity. A child who is born in the muck and the straw, amongst the familiarity, the small things that we would know, who looks up and sees the face of his mother, and whom shepherds come and visit. And we have the story of the very large, the cosmic Christ, the one who was before all time, what we might say before the Big Bang itself, if we can imagine a before, and the truth is we can't. So it is an article of faith for us, this notion that Christ birthed all things and is therefore touching all things. And as John tells us, without whom nothing would exist. This is the Christmas paradox. And it is not a riddle that is meant to be solved, but is sort of like that GPS in your pocket is something meant to be lived and is meant to nurture and feed us in our faith, not just get us from point A to point B. But the good news that we have coming out of the Christmas paradox is that our God is really that great, that ineffable, that mysterious, 
and yet able to touch us in the smallest places and also be visible to us as we look at the most distant star. A great God is good news for us. Good news for a new year. Thank you for listening to this sermon podcast from the Episcopal Church of Our Savior, Mill Valley, California. We are a growing community welcoming those seeking to deepen their relationship with God and to journey in faith with God's people through the breaking of bread and in service to others in Christ's name. You may reach us by phone at 415-388-1907, search for us online, or visit our website at OurSaviorMillValley.org. We wish you God's peace. We hope to greet you in person very soon.